with all your truth or kindness lord with all your truth or kindness lord welcome to the notice where together we notice the mercy of god i'm susan hookstra your host the notice podcast explores our need for validation and affirmation through biblical musings and unique stories from special guests. Experience relevant topics and encouragement as we take notice of how the God of mercy satisfies. Have you ever taken notice of the homeless or ever wondered how they came to experiencing life without a home? Would you ever consider getting to know them? Stay tuned for this special episode where I talk with Judy Allen, a college English teacher and playwright. You'll hear how a story project she started in one of her classes helped students notice the misconceptions surrounding homelessness and led her to write the play, I Have a Name. Hear how God interweaved the stories her students wrote, the relationships that developed, and how we may overcome the images we have of the homeless. You won't want to miss this incredible story of how God notices Well, I'm so excited to have in the studio today Judy Allen. Um, I met her just recently. It was a real God thing because I showed up at church and she started to tell the story that she's going to tell us today. So I was excited to hear the story. I went to her play and we'll talk all about that in a minute. But Judy, welcome. Thanks Thank for being so here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. And I'm excited to share your story. So for, for our listeners out there, um, tell me a little bit about your project and how this whole thing evolved. We're going to get right into it. Okay. Well, it's interesting because I never had a project. I walked into class one day. It was a typical day. And I did not plan on doing a project, but it evolved by the end of my two-hour class. So that day, I brought in an essay on homelessness. And it wasn't the content of the essay that I was showing my students. It was some of the writing techniques because I teach writing at Lansing Community College. And we got done looking at those techniques and one of my students kept talking a lot. And he kept saying things with a lot of authority. And finally I said to him, how do you know that? And he said, because I lived it. And we all mm. just stopped. It was, there, there was no answer to that. And we were probably an hour and a half into class at that point, but we just basically closed the books and started talking. And we talked a lot about homelessness, what we've seen, what we've done, what we haven't done, what we wished we had done, and stereotypes. And I just saw a lot of compassion from my other students, not just for their classmate, but just for homeless in general. Mm -hmm. And at the end of class, I said, we need to do something. And I said, I don't know what, but I don't, I know what I don't want to do. And that's serving in a soup kitchen because anybody could do that. I wanted to do something that was unique to us in our class. So it took me, it took me a week or two to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. I was actually at a, a conference in Michigan and it popped into my head. I heard the word story, and I thought we could help homeless men and women write their stories, mm -hmm. which I loved that idea. I was so excited. 
but then it was okay where are we going to find these people and how is this all going to happen and but I was very excited and I pitched the idea to a few people I talked about it at a conference dinner that evening and the very person I was sitting next to at the dinner who wasn't from the college by the way uh, but she said I know the the director of the Volunteers of America in Lansing would you like me to give him your contact information and I said absolutely hmm. and that really got the ball rolling um, we talked I started talking to my supervisors at the college and pitched it to my students and everybody was on board and that was so exciting because it wasn't a planned thing yet it was a project that people were really excited about. So tell me a little bit about like what was your experience um, with the homeless before you got involved in this? Very little. I mean I saw the same thing most people see and that's usually a man on the corner holding a cardboard sign and we drive by. That was pretty much it. I had read a book called um, Same Kind of Different as Me mm -hmm. and that was about a homeless man who was in a shelter and I had read that a couple years earlier and remember thinking that was an amazing story about how this couple got connected to this one man who was very isolated. Didn't they make a movie about that? They did. Yeah. Okay. They did make a movie about that and then there's a, a follow-up book as well called What Difference Do It Make? But anyway, at the time, I had next to no experience. Um, and I had the same preconceived notions as my students and many other people. I had my own thoughts about that or questions like, why are they there? Why, where's their families? You know, and I didn't understand, you know, how somebody wasn't taking care of them. And, it, and I never questioned really... Um, why they were there necessarily, but that they were there, and how did they get there? But other than that, it's not like I ever served them. Okay. It's not like I had this great passion to go out and, and work at a shelter or do anything. I'd, I'd never served at a shelter in any capacity. Okay. So after you got the idea, mm -hmm. so tell me what happened next. Well, I, I did make contact with this director at the Volunteers of America, and he basically interviewed me over the phone, which I think was a really good idea. He has such a heart for the homeless that he didn't want them exploited. Hmm. And he, he would ask me the same questions in different ways throughout our phone conversation. And once he realized that my intent was good, in that I just wanted them to be able to tell their stories and have my students pair up with with a man or woman at the at the shelter he said let's meet so we met in person and he had two other people who worked at the shelter with him so we all met in the conference room and I gave him my idea again and they asked me a lot of questions and basically said let's do this but again, it was, how are we going to find people? How, you know, are we going to pair them up? And because I wanted these men and women to do their own writing. I didn't want my students to write the story because I wanted it to be their voice, gotcha. not my students' interpretation of their story. 
Well, they decided to put up all kinds of flyers and they were going to talk to a few people and they did that. They put flyers up around the shelter and I suggested that we have a Q&A so it wouldn't commit anybody to anything. They could just come, meet some of my students, ask questions, and then decide. So that's it's kind of vulnerable for them to very much so. want to tell their story. And guess how many people came to our Q&A? How many? Zero. Really? Nobody came. Mm. And so at that point, we had caseworkers there too. And after about 20 minutes, one of the caseworkers said to me, what would you think about going into their quarters and recruiting them that way, just talking to them? And I said, let's go. I think three or four of my students were able to come that day, and we all just started talking to people, telling them a little bit about what we wanted to do and asking them if they would be interested. And most people were. Some said no, but many said yes. Hmm. And that's how we sort of paired, paired up one student with one man or woman. So it was more that they, you were able to make that human connection with mm -hmm. them that made them respond, would you say? I do. I think some of them heard about it, but they didn't know enough. And so then seeing us walk in, and my students are wonderful, and just have a conversation with them like we are now, was all they needed. And so many of them we got that day. A few of them told their friends and said, hey, want to do this. And by the end, we had probably about 10 who said that they wanted to do it because my students weren't required to do this. This was not part of my curriculum. It was halfway through the semester. Okay. And I wanted to get the stories done by the end of the semester. So they came in for one hour once a week. And I went as well, and then one of the people from the VOA was always there. So the, the students actually went and met with them? Yes. Okay. One-on-one. -on -one. And mm -hmm. so they had tables for us, or they had chairs set up around. And what my students did, like, the very first day was just listen and let them talk and just get to know each other like two people who didn't know each other would do right. and ask each other questions. No writing that day, nothing but. Now, did you pair up a certain student with a certain person? I how did. did that How did that work out? Sometimes if they met already, that seemed to be a natural bond. They already met this person when we walked out into their quarters to talk to them. But some people hadn't, and I just eyed different people who I thought might work well together. Sometimes it was... You know, one of my male students with one of the male clients, female with a female, but a lot of times it was both. So it was more what I could see between the two of them. So I was just watching when we when they met and talked to see how that would work. And so then these relationships developed and they started writing the story. So what do you think your students learned by doing this? My students learned that these men and women had a tough time. They squished stereotypes. They found out that something happened that just upset their lives. But here's what's really interesting. These men and women didn't write about homelessness. Not at all. 
They wrote about everything but homelessness. Mm -hmm. They wrote about high school. They wrote about a girlfriend. They wrote about the military. They wrote about moving. Uh, A couple of them wrote about darker things like suicide or addiction. But the majority of them didn't. So that's what happened the first year. So I got all these stories thinking, you know, I want to find out what happened to these men and women. And I didn't learn anything other than this is a real person who has, you know, a life, an important, valuable life. So these relationships formed and they trusted, I think, my students, but they didn't want to tell how they got to the shelter. They didn't want to tell the circumstances behind their homelessness. So we did this again the next year with a different Well, that's what I was going to ask. So yeah. you, you did this for this semester, but then you continued the project. It, did it become part of your curriculum then? Yes and no. It did in that, at least this time, it was more organized. It wasn't a surprise, but I still didn't make it mandatory for my students. Okay. So it was optional. I didn't want anybody doing it who didn't have to. Or, or didn't feel compelled. I guess that's a better reason. If, if they felt like they wanted to do it or had time to do it, it was completely up to them. So the second year, I brought in writing prompts about homelessness and how, asking them, you know, how did it feel? How did your family take it? Where is your family? Or just all kinds of different things. And I showed those to them, gave them all copies. They loved them. They thought they were so thought-provoking, and that was great. So what did, we, what did you do with these stories? Well, let me tell you one other thing before I tell you that, because they didn't write about homelessness again. They still wrote about everyday events that had nothing to do with homelessness. So that's what we did the, the second year. The third year we did it again, except... I wanted to do something with the stories. I wanted to not publish a little booklet, but I wanted to put the stories in some kind of booklet form so that these men and women could have something that shared a piece of their life. So my class helped do some editing and retyping and just making sure that if there were spelling errors, those were corrected and and just things like that. And we found... Um, or I found that one of the stories wasn't there and that was so unusual because I keep a hard copy, a paper copy and an electronic copy of every one but I didn't have it either so I called up the shelter, the woman that I worked with there, she didn't have it either and then I said well it's not a big deal, my student has transferred now to a four-year college, but I still have her email and I'll get a hold of her. I got a hold of her and she said, I don't know if I have the story or not, but I can get it because my family and I see this man once a week Mm. and we're still in touch with him even though the project ended and that had been over a year. So what relationship developed? Where did they see them once a week? Well, it started out that my student had invited him to church because one of their weekly meetings uh, talked, they were talking about religion and faith and where that fit into their lives. I don't know how that came about. I never knew it happened, 
and at some point she invited him to church and he said okay mm -hmm. but he didn't show up so she invited him again and eventually he came and they sat with her family and this was at Trinity and he felt part of that family really from the get-go that they were very welcoming to him they invited him out to lunch and then he started coming to different events like if one of the kids the younger siblings had a football game they invited him some of the holidays they invited him and he nice. started reciprocating by bringing baked goods that because he loved to bake and so that's really how it got started now this man is nearly 80 today he was in his mid to late 70s at the time and he just felt like grandpa now is he still homeless he is not he is doing much better although I talked to him about a week ago and he was trying to move into a new place he needed to move out of his place and into a new place so he at that time was staying at a local hotel for a few days until his things got moved in and then he got moved into a new place so this is one of the stories that you talk about in this play that you eventually wrote which yes. is I have a name yes. so tell me how the play came about and how you decided to, to select certain stories or okay. whatever how did that happen well it was again never my intent I, it's just so interesting to see how God works through mm -hmm. all these things because mm -hmm. it was not my intent to ever bring this to stage but somebody in the theater department at LCC heard about it and it was her idea to bring it to stage. So I said I thought that was a great idea, but I would have to check with the shelter for permission and check with each of these clients for permission. But again, they didn't write about homelessness. So she didn't really know what the stories were about. But all of that to say, nothing ever happened. She got busy, she's full-time, I'm full-time and I was busy. She went on sabbatical and a year or two passed. Mm. But it was always in the back of my head that wouldn't it be amazing if we could do something to make a difference with the understanding of homelessness. So I decided to write a sabbatical proposal and see if maybe I could get a semester off and do the, write the script myself. And the college approved it and that's what I did. Mm -hmm. So during that time, I picked five people that I wanted to work with and I wanted to work with them because they were all success stories. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be so neat to show people that homelessness isn't forever, but I learned a lot through all of that because at one point during my sabbatical, two of the people quit corresponding with me. And what's interesting about that is we had done all of the interviews and I interviewed them several times and then I would always show them their script and say, did I get this right? Does this sound like you? Mm. Um, do I need to add anything, delete anything? So they had a chance to basically tell me what they wanted revised every time. When they signed off on, on it, then we did a photo shoot. So we had a photo shoot of all the people. And from that point on, their role was pretty much done, although it wasn't going to be brought to stage for 
about a year and a half. Sure, these things oh, take well time. Over a year, yes. <laughs> right. So I would try and keep in touch with them at least once a month and just call them, text them. We exchanged numbers, email. I would meet up once in a while at a coffee shop and just see how they were doing just to stay in touch. But in the middle of the, all that, two of my five people disappeared. And one of them was really surprising to me because this, this person who disappeared was a former student of mine. And it was not the one I originally told you about that the project started. It was a different one who wrote about homelessness in, a, in another class two years later. And he was all in from the get-go and was always saying, what can I do to help? And I never heard from him again. Hmm. And honestly, I was so worried. I thought something happened to him to the point I started reading obituaries. Wow. I just thought, this is so atypical of his behavior that I was scared something happened. And so I decided to keep texting once a month and just say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Let me know if you're okay. Never heard anything. And then I started saying, or writing again, still texting, but saying, here are the dates to the show. You know, I, I really would love to have you there. Or I want you to look at this one last thing. Can you tell me about that? Or with him, I said, I'm not comfortable putting your last name in the program without your permission. Let me know if that's okay. Never heard from him. Wow. Until about five days before the show. And out of the blue, no he kidding. texted me. And this had been from February to November. We had no contact. And he said, hey, it's okay, and I'm going to try and come. And I was just, he made my day. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't about this show that my name needed to be on, on a program. It was about these people that meant so much to me. Their lives. Their lives. And Their just lives. making sure he was okay. And then the other person who I didn't hear from about that same time, still to this day I've never heard from her, I let the shelter know because she did live there for several months with two of her children. And they didn't know anything was wrong either, but they said, we can find out. Because we helped her you know, get housed, we helped her find a job so we can find out what happened. Now they have confidentiality policies there that they couldn't tell me everything other than she fell on hard times. And they could tell me a little bit, but not a lot, which I respect, and that's okay. But what it showed me was I originally went in wanting five success stories and thinking, but it doesn't always happen that way. Mm -hmm. And the director of the shelter told me that they relapse on average six times, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And so... That was t- tough to hear. That was tough to accept because, again, I wanted her to be okay. And this was my youngest story. So the play was, the play isn't just about homelessness or, the play was really to share that people have a story. Yes, and it was to share that 
circumstances are very different from what we think. And I have a quote that I want to share with you. This was a line that we wrote into the play. It was a quote by Robert Louis Stevenson. He's a famous author. Mm -hmm. And he wrote, sooner or later, everyone sits down to a banquet of consequences. And I remember thinking how powerful that was because that student I told you about who I didn't see for all those months mm -hmm. and he wrote about it, he actually wrote that line in his own paper in my class. And I remember thinking when I saw that how powerful that was because his circumstances were not chosen. His mother died when he was 17 years old. And a few months later, his dad said, I can't do this. I can't parent. And he was grieving himself. The mother was only 39 years old. It was a complete tragedy, complete mm. shock and unexpected. And everybody was grieving. And now 20 years later, my student is, today is almost 37. And he had a very tough time. He tried to survive, but 20 years ago, cell phones weren't a thing and his entire extended family lived in Wisconsin. He had no idea how to get a hold of them. His mother, he said, was the glue that kept the whole family together like many moms are and at least with organization and 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 things like that. Not saying that dads can't do that, but this was very difficult for this young man's father. He was an only child. He had nobody. Mm -hmm. And after his dad left, he didn't know what to do, where to go. He eventually just decided he was going to go to the local shelter, even though people told him not to. And he went and got beat up his first night there and mm -hmm. left and just started walking, trying to figure out what he was going to do. He's 17, nowhere mm -hmm. to go, mm -hmm. no source of income. Mm -hmm. And on his walk runs into homeless men who said we can help you stay with us and that's what he did and he lived under a bridge in Michigan as a teenager for a year and in the meantime when the winter came around he could not handle the cold like none of us would be able to handle the cold 24 7 and he was hungry and one of them said, hey, we can give you something to help take the edge off, meaning drugs. Mm -hmm. And he didn't want to. This young man never took drugs until then. And he said, it, on one hand, it took his life, and on the other hand, it saved him because he couldn't feel cold anymore. He couldn't feel gotcha. hunger anymore. And the, the drug, methamphetamine, is what saved him. But he became so addicted that one of the men under the bridge, a different one, said, you're going to die. He had lost something like 70 pounds, not that big to begin with, and saw his image in some window and didn't recognize himself. And it scared him. And so when this man, his name was Benny, said, you're going to die, you have to stop, and we're going to make you and they tied him to a tree and took shifts watching him so withdrawal? he wouldn't, yes, to go through withdrawal. Now these were all other homeless? Yes. Okay. It took 
several days for him to go through this withdrawal. And a while later, I don't know how much later, but the same man, Benny, who is about 60 at the time, he was an older homeless man, gave him $150, took him to the bus station, put him on the bus, and to and he, he went to Wisconsin to find his family, extended family. So they pulled that together mm-hmm. because it was a like a family unit almost. Mm-hmm. They they took they, care of each they, other. they watched each other yes. because they were all had the survival. They had to survive. They survived. It was just basic survival. Right. But that's kind of beautiful that they they helped him out. Mm-hmm. You know what kinds of things? I mean, you know, we talk about on this podcast a lot about validation, which is just acknowledging someone's experience. How, how important do you think that is for somebody who's homeless, that somebody just acknowledges their experience or their consequences as you describe them? I think it is, you can't put a value on it. There, there is no value to put on validation of somebody. And when I really saw this was especially during the whole uh, script writing because they saw how much it mattered. First, that my students listened to them, but remember, they didn't know their homeless story. But they immediately trusted me, probably because I was always there at the shelter and saw them. But they felt validated when I would bring it back to them and I'd say, look at this. Did I get this right? Does this sound like you? I tried to use their words as much as I possibly mm-hmm. could. So it sounded like them. But after the show was over, I was, I was texting one night one of the women in the show, the woman who was in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. I remember. And she was 19 years old when she had, was diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis. But she had been raised by a prostitute. Her mother was a prostitute, and she was homeless almost her entire life until almost 40 years old. Wow. She was about 43, almost 44 at the time of the show but we were texting back and forth one night and she she said she couldn't stop thinking about it she said nobody has ever ever applauded for me before it's always been criticism Mm. and that's what they all said a common theme was I didn't feel shame in telling my story somebody actually listened to what happened to me and there was no shame you know Mother Teresa had this quote that I Mm-hmm. want to mention here it says we think sometimes that poverty is only being hungry naked and homeless mm-hmm. the poverty of being unwanted unloved and uncared for is its greatest poverty we must start in our homes own homes to remedy this kind of poverty mm-hmm. is that kind of what you saw with these homeless i did i think when they felt somebody cared when they saw compassion from my students, it took away this poverty that they felt in their heart, that nobody cared about them because we always look away. Mm-hmm. If somebody smiles, it seems so little because it's, if I look on my end, and why do I look away when I'm in the car? Why do I not want to look at the person who says on his sign, anything helps, God bless you, that kind of thing. 
It's because I think some fear and misunderstanding. I think it's what do they want from me? Is this legit? Mm -hmm. I mean, I was taken advantage of by a homeless person one time who was on crutches and I gave money and then I saw five minutes later tuck the crutches under her arm. It was a woman and she walked away. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. But now I realize I can't allow that to dictate my thoughts. Yep, there's going to be a con here and there. Mm -hmm. There is in every profession, in every imaginable thing we can think of, but the bigger picture is that the majority of these men and women fall on these hard times, just like this student of mine and this other woman, and they want us just to listen. Mm -hmm. And that's what you did when you listened. You know, I have this interesting story. I remember driving past this, uh, there's a a certain intersection Mm -hmm. where a lot of homeless would stand and and ask for money. And I remember driving past this person, and it was a young lady, and she just looked at me in the face, and usually I just don't stop and give, right? So then I'm driving away from it, and all of a sudden God prompted on my heart. He said, back and give her your $40 in your purse. Mm. And, and, and I, and I, you know, at first I was a little reluctant because I was like the the way that the interchange worked, it would have been really inconvenient, Mm -hmm. but I did it because I felt that that the Holy Spirit was telling me to do it. So I went back in there and then I drove all the way around and I gave her the money. Now, I don't know what she did with that money. You know, a lot of times, you know, somebody has, would say, well, they're just going to go out and buy drugs. Mm-hmm. Or alcohol. Okay. And that might have been the case, but God prompted on my heart. He said, yes, but if, if you're going to give her money for drugs, that might sustain her for one day because tomorrow somebody's going to preach the gospel to her. Oh, that's amazing. And I thought, okay, and that changed, it changed my outlook mm-hmm. a little bit on that, mm-hmm. is that there's, there's a story there that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so in your play, that was one of the things that I thought was extremely powerful, was that we all have stories. Yes. And anybody you meet on the street, whether you're going to a coffee shop, you might not know their story. You can draw a conclusion about their story, but you don't really know. So what did you notice about God through this whole experience? I think I noticed God from the beginning with the project because there were too many things that happened that would seem coincidental to some, but weren't. That essay that I brought in that day, I hadn't used it in two years. It was tucked away. But there was something in that essay that I wanted to show this class. Mm -hmm. So I grabbed that essay. For that student to feel like he trusted his classmates and me enough to say, I lived this. And then every single thing that happened, this woman sitting next to me at that conference who knew the director at the VOA, which, by the way, is three blocks from the college. (laughs) Students could walk. If they took the bus, Mm -hmm. if they carpooled with somebody else, that wasn't a factor. Every single thing was God was in it. His hand was on everything, even to the fact of you hearing about this Mm -hmm. and the fact that I told Marvin Williams, the pastor of Trinity Church, 
the week that I did when my boss had been prompting me for a year to tell him just to encourage him about what this mm -hmm. family did from his church. Every single thing fell in place. It changed attitudes. It changed attitudes of people in my small group. I got a text from a colleague who on the way home, her husband said to her, I will never look at homeless the same. Mm -hmm. And I said, they got it. We did it. Mm -hmm. We were changing attitudes. And I think that, yes, there are compassionate, loving, caring person people at shelters, but the big work has to be done beyond that. How are we going to get that big work done? By changing attitudes. So that's what you're, that's what you're hopeful that this, this play and being able to tell the stories is it changes our outlook on this. And that might prompt a certain kind of action of some sort or yes. not. There was a young lady who had the relationship with the man who ended up oh. coming to church every yes. week and everything. So where, I mean, are they still friends now? Do they still yes. take, they're still in contact? Oh, yes. So he's sort of like the uncle of the family? He's the grandpa of the The grandpa. Family. He's okay. the grandpa, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah, he says that he has adopted my students' parents because they're about the ages of his children so they love him they're still in contact now it's been three years mm -hmm. since that all happened he's just part of the family he's expected to be at events I know that this mom has taken him to doctor's appointments I know that they've helped him move and pack up and mm -hmm. they're very involved with him mm -hmm. so it's pretty amazing. I mean, they obviously feel comfortable with him. They're obviously, he's part of the family. But what would you say to somebody out there who's just uncomfortable around the homeless? I would say that's okay. I don't think that's unusual. I think it's more unusual if somebody isn't uncomfortable than somebody who is. My students, when they walked over to that shelter, they were scared. They did not know what to expect. They did not know what they were going to see, but they wanted to help. And what I would tell somebody else is even starting out with a smile is a start. I don't think everybody is called to do the same thing. I think we all have different gifts and, and different challenges and we do things differently. I mean, a person can certainly give out of their pocketbook. Mm -hmm. They can certainly give of their time if they want to work at a shelter. They are always looking for volunteers. But the one thing that this project and what your students gave them is they they had somebody who was actually listening to yes, them. Yes, they gave them dignity. And when, when you're listened to, you feel validated. That's right. And that validation it gives you the dignity. You feel like you have a dignity like everyone has their own story. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all have our, our different stories of different things that have happened in our life, too. And so it's important that some of these stories get out there, that the stories themselves are meaningful, and that we can change the paradigm. Is there anything that you would wish that if this play gets shown again, or that you could change, or I don't know if the change is the word, that, that you would do differently? The ending, for me, was really, really important, and a lot of people missed it. And to let your listeners know what we did, so 
Amazing Grace was sung at the end. After that, they did a bow. I mean, the actors took their bows and, and the real people, three of the five real people came out and shared what they're doing today. And after that, we took all of the people from the shelter that we had taken their photos of. So there were probably at least 25 to 30 people. And those people were shown in the beginning too, in black and white, but they were, it was flipped through very, very quickly. And at the end, I wanted that all slowed way down. I wanted it in color and I wanted their names at the bottom because that was the whole mm -hmm. point mm -hmm. is this person has a name. And that got lost. That ending got lost. A few people told me they didn't even notice it. I noticed it. I would have slowed that down yep. even more. I would. I. I know it was long. That, in some respects, was one of the most important parts of the whole thing. Is that these people are people. They have names. They have stories. And please, let's just give them. You know, this two minutes to show, twenty-five to thirty of them. That, to me, I would have done a little bit differently. But I understand from a creative point of view and from a directorial point of view, right. this is like the credits rolling. Well, right, right. It's, it's, it's a production, an event, instead of just a message. Mm -hmm. And the message is, is what's the most important, yeah. and that is, I have a name. Yeah. And so for any listeners out there, it doesn't matter if you're homeless or you're not. You do have a name, hmm. and there's somebody who knows your name, yeah. knows everything about you. Mm -hmm. Psalms 139, read Psalms 139 if you're discouraged. talks about how God knows everything you're going to speak before you speak it. He knows you intimately, so God does know your name. He knows so much more about you, and that's where we get most of our true validation, but we're, we're here on this earth to encourage and, and affirm and, and validate others too so that we they know what value they have to God. And I think I think that sums it up beautifully that God knows us all intimately and he's in control of everything. And it also speaks to me because I was reading in Proverbs one time and this was part of my reading that day and I had no idea it was right in the middle of producing the show and it's Proverbs 31 8 and 9 which says speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves for the rights of all who are destitute speak up and judge fairly defend the rights of the poor and needy period, period. And God doesn't say do this if you're comfortable mm. do this when you're ready I don't think it means everybody does the same thing, but we have to be able to speak up. And I think that's what we try to do, whether it was them telling their stories through a project at LCC or whether it was this play that we showed. It was speaking up for people who could not speak for themselves. It's just important to listen. It's very powerful. So that's, that's a wonderful verse, and thank you so much for sharing that. This is a powerful conversation. I appreciate you being here today and talking about so this. I know we could talk <laughs> much more about all the things that happen with everything. Um, so I just encourage our listeners out there, realize you're not a drop in the ocean. Your smile, 
just listening can make a difference in someone's life. The play, I Have a Name, was first performed on Lansing Community College's campus in November 2019. Should you wish to learn more about the play, please visit the Notice Podcast webpage where you can find out more information. And should you have any comments or questions on this episode, I'd love to hear from you. Please email me at susan at susankhookstra.com. Next on the notice, do you find yourself asking why? Why did this happen? Why did they get away with that? Just what is it? Join me on the next episode where we discuss how we overthink and how God takes notice of us when we do. Until next time, take notice.